Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. As you may know by now, each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and it's safe to say I'm pretty excited to be introducing this person to you listeners. He's someone who I've watched from afar as a football fan throughout my childhood and teenage years, and is something of a football league legend for those of you who follow the lower divisions, especially leagues one and two. Having done my research, he's also like me, a local lad to the East London area, and a man who's needed to show a great amount of resilience, courage and mental strength throughout his career. That man is Mr Matt Harold. Matt is a professional footballer who currently plays as a centre-forward for League Two side Leighton Orient. He's also played for a number of clubs across the country in Football League ladder, including Yeovil Town, Bristol Rovers, Southend United, Wickham Wanderers and Brentford. Matt, welcome to the Just Checking In pod and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to have a chat with me. No I'm delighted to have you on. First of all, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, yeah. Obviously, great win yesterday. We won 1-0 away at um, Northampton and I played 75 minutes. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, Sundays are always better after a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can speak for the same as well, mate. Um, now, first things first, uh, this podcast wouldn't be happening without our very good mutual friend, Tony, yeah. who connected us. So, you must give a quick shout-out to him. I hope you'll be buzzing up getting that shout-out. <laughs> good hairdresser um, and all, isn't he? Very good hairdresser. He's uh, the barber for both of us at Hairmail yeah. in South Woodford, so I'm giving you some free advertising there, Tony. <laughs> Um, do my research for this pod, Matt. I happened to find out you went to Trinity High School with for Green. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so that's actually the same school my brother went to. All oh, right. Um, so yeah, it's a good little local connection we've got there, isn't it? Yes. Um, I mean, I had a really good time at that school, and it's funny. I've been back there the last two years to talk to the sixth form students mm. and the younger pupils because I think their head of year ten is a, is a big Orient fan. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was good to go back. It was quite strange going back in there. But, Must have been a little bit. It always is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was weird. Everything seemed so much smaller than when you. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But um, no, it was good to go back in there, and it just just to give some the kids some advice, the, mm. the sportier kids. So it was good. Mm. Perfect. Well, now we've got that out of the way. Shall we get started? Yeah, great. So the first topic I wanted to get in with you, Matt, and which we'll discuss with a bit of a mental health angle as well, is your football journey up to now. So we probably don't have time to talk in great detail about your experiences at every single club. But mm. what we're going to do is we're going to pick out the most important points that have happened in your career or the most noteworthy. We'll break them down, which ones that produce the most significant moments and which moments you've been most proud of as well. Okay. So I believe you were in Southend United's youth set up at the start of your career before you left to play a trade in non-league football. Is that right? Um, people think that, but I was actually, um, I got released from West Ham when I was 14. So even earlier than that then? Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, was, I got released from West Ham when I was 14 and that was a bit of a big, big moment for me because uh, from the age of kind of 10 to 14, I, I had a, a lot of clubs after me, kind mm. of Tottenham, Arsenal and, and clubs like that, Millwall I was at and then West Ham signed me. And then getting released from there, I just had two miserable years there, really was... Um, a bit of a shock and I just went away and started enjoying my football again um, mm. playing for 
a dad whose son also got released from West Ham. He kind of mm. set up a team and it was just almost, he saw the kind of maybe the lack of enjoyment we were getting out of it at that mm. time and, and created a team. And it was just about kind of getting back to playing with a smile on your face mm. and enjoying it. And from obviously leaving Trinity, I then went to a college scheme in Southend, which was connected to Southend United, but mm. I wasn't actually signed signed up. But within about three months, I realised I was better than all the youth team players <laughs> yeah, in Southend. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was one of them. It kind of gave me a bit of belief, actually. Mm. I never ended up signing for Southend. So I went and played non-league football and... Uh, and almost grew up a bit quicker, you know, when... And, um, Being about men's football, basically. Yeah, definitely yeah, getting yeah. some hits and mm. and kind of uh, learning the hard bits of the game. The dark arts as yeah, well. The yeah, the dark yeah, arts yeah. from from quite a young age. And I suppose it, it toughened me up. But one thing I always had was uh, like a real big focus and desire to mm. play. I mean, when I got released from West Ham, it was... It was real tough time, but it, it, did, it did motivate me. I remember, like... Be times I'd set my alarm for like five in the morning and go and play football before school um, mm. or go and do some fitness work. So I kind of always had that built-in drive. That um, where do you think that came from? Was, um, it, was, it, was it drilled into or something you sort of always had that inner self-belief? I don't know if it's inner self-belief. I would say I say it's more of an inner work ethic. I wouldn't okay. say I necessarily get it from my parents. They won't be happy for me <laughs> to hear that. Maybe more my mum than, okay. than my old man, but. Um, I don't know, I just suppose it was just loving football so much mm. and just wanting that to be my job. Mm. And and also I'm not I'm not like um I'm not stupid or anything, but I didn't really have a goal academically or a job in mind. It was mm. just always kind of football. Mm. So I threw myself back into that. And there were some dark times, like when you get released, it's, mm. it's never nice because you think the dream's over, but it definitely kind of motivated me and spurred me on to uh, to do more. When you were a teenager, coming back to the the point where you said about, you know, you had a lot of clubs after you, what is that like as a young kid to try and keep yourself grounded when you've got, you know, you might have five, six clubs saying, we want to sign you, we think you're really great. They might be pitching themselves as, mm. you know, this club you want to go to. They might be saying, we think you're really great. Like, yeah. how do you keep yourself grounded? Um... I think honestly at that time I probably didn't think about it things too okay. much. I just kind of went with the flow a bit more. My my mm. my dad would have kind of spoke me spoke to me about the decisions we had to make and things. And I think I was at Millwall and fairly happy. And then West Ham came in quite strongly and not promise you the world, but kind of make a big mm. big kind of like song and dance about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a Premier League club, and and you and you. I ended up going there and. I knew pretty early. It was just I don't, I don't know. I didn't I didn't feel I didn't feel that settled. I think they had a lot of lads coming in from like South London who knew mm. each other and they're all cliques and stuff. Bit more, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was like really clear. I'd just say they're almost more developed as well. It's like mm. men and I I hadn't really I think at fourteen I hadn't probably developed as much as the others and I just got left behind and mm. it, it, it happened a lot. I don't think it happens as much now because. Mm they realise this and they they kind of keep you longer and they mm. see the bigger picture. But back then it was very much... It's all very kind, physical focus. Yeah, like physical all focus. about who's, you know, dominating first. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was very much in the moment rather than kind of thinking long term. So, um, yeah, but everything happens for a reason. I always think that. Mm. Um, talking about the point when you were released, like, I think for a lot of listeners, they might think, oh, if you get someone, someone gets released, you can just find another club straight away or whatever. What is it? What is the reality like? Because I can imagine that for a lot of kids who might not be 
he might not have the same drive as you. They might be more prone to sort of kind of being down when mm. setbacks happen. That must that must be a really devastating thing to happen. Yeah, definitely. I remember, I mean, it it was expected for me and it was almost a bit of relief when it happened. It was okay. a disappointment, but it was a relief because I weren't enjoying it. I yeah. weren't playing well. I weren't, I'd almost forgot in the two years of like what a good player I was and how good I could be. So it's probably a blessing in disguise. I remember my dad telling they pulled him in the office at Chad Relief West Ham training ground and told him and then he told me on the way home. And I think I probably cried a bit, but thinking back, I weren't happy. So, mm. you know, it was just all worked probably, out for a reason. Yeah, you turned yeah. that negative into a positive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of the listeners might think, and perhaps with some justification, that, that football is a highly glamorous sport. It's filled with multimillionaires. Some might be out of touch, per se, with the reality of modern life. Now, I think whilst that may be true with some players, for a lot of players, especially in the Football League and, and non-league, football is simply their livelihood. It's something that they love, but it's a way of paying the bills. You know, Talk to me a bit about the instability that comes with playing in non-league, especially early on in your career mm. and, and the pressures that come with it and perhaps some of the, the truths and realities that football fans might not realise where maybe they're shouting abuse from the touchlines or yeah. they're saying certain things on social media about a player. Yeah. I mean, social media is, it's weird. So I, I joined Brentford and I scored a hat-trick. I think I'm their youngest ever player, as, mm. as you actually we, pointed out. We can fact-check it, but I think, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my research won't let me down on yeah, that. <laughs> I, I was the youngest player to score a hat-trick. And then but that was back in the days when you had like fans forums and stuff. I know mm. they still the go. The message but, boards and all yeah, that. Yeah, the message yeah, boards. Yeah, yeah. So... Someone at training was talking about it, so I thought, oh, I'll go and have a look. And, but players uh, do that. Players do look at the message board sometimes. I think they, they well, they did back then. Back then now, yeah. now everyone checks Twitter. Social media, yeah. Twitter, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I just went on not really understanding or knowing what it was. And I went on and I saw a kind of thread about me and I read yeah. it and it was all really positive. Obviously, I've just got a hat-trick. Yeah. I was like, cool, I'll carry on reading So you're looking this. for vindication, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you're young and you don't even, you don't even think, overthink it. You just go and read it and you think, oh... Like, they love me. And it's mm. such a great feeling. And then as I played more, and I probably wasn't ready to play more, and I didn't I didn't keep that kind of incredible high form going, I probably weren't ready to play as much as I did. And I, I would still read it. And it was just really soul-destroying, like mm. you say. It was like... But then you, you realise the people who are writing it probably don't have much idea about football. Mm. They're, um, they're sitting on a computer, not well-informed and stuff like that and, and some of them are just kind of being nasty. Mm. Um, Do you think that people, I see this kind of a lot with with fans that they'll say one thing about a player and they might love him or her if it's a women's team and then like 12 months later that player might have a really, really bad dip in form and they all think he's absolutely shit Yeah, and they won't remember them saying all the positive yeah. stuff on Twitter 12 yeah. months ago. You could just pull it up and just be like, yeah. well, that's just, a just good thing be now. a bit you can more balanced. Yeah, like, yeah. I, think, I think it's one of them things, maybe in life in general, it's, it's never as bad as you think and it's never as good as you think. That, you know, it's, mm. this, you've got to never get too high, never get too low. Did it take you a while to get to that sort of mindset? Yeah, though? I was yeah, yeah. probably later than I should have because I'm quite an aware, I'm quite aware of stuff. Mm. Um, we had... Um, we had a physio who came into Crawley who worked for Everton. Right. And he said at 17 years old, uh, Everton were playing Liverpool on Super Sunday and Wayne Rooney was there mm. and he was, he was 17 years old. And you think it's probably, I don't know how many people watching a game around the world, but millions, millions and millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and he just said he was just kicking a ball against the wall, oblivious completely to the occasion. Right. And he just had no stress in his head at all. Now, I know people who haven't played football, but I, I'm stressed before a, a League Two match in terms of I want to do well. Mm. I'm, I'm kind you of feel like, the pressure. You're aware, yeah, of it. a little yeah, bit yeah. in a good way. But Wayne Rooney obviously does not, not feel not pressure. The world. Yeah, yeah he and, feel and it. that is a, a wonderful. Yeah, and I think the top that players mindset. Sort yeah, of thing. the top yeah. players have that, and and people underestimate that kind of mindset. You know. Mm. You you left non-league in 2003, is that right, when Brentford signed you? Yeah. Um, and in that era, I remember had Brentford having some quite seriously good players because they beat my team, Huddersfield Town, <laughs> in the playoff semi-finals in 2002, which still haunts me to this day. Um, how did you find that jump from the non from non-league to the EFL? Was it was it a new kind of pressure because of the you know added fan base? You know, sometimes on television, not a lot. Yeah. Um, or did you sort of relish the chance to prove yourself at a higher level with better players? Um, it's quite a strange actually because when my agent, I've got an agent by then. Mm. Um, when my agent told me Brentford were interested in signing you, and I was, I didn't have a clue of them. I've, n- I've never even heard of them. I was like mm. seventeen. I'd... Apologies to Brentford fans who you might be listening to the pod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was one of them ones where I, I was just like. I've I've only watched Premier League football really, yeah. and like Italian football because it what was age like you Gazetta. At the time? I don't know. I was, I was probably eighteen. Eighteen. Or 19, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But I just I probably heard of them vaguely, but I, I just literally watched Premier League football just or top four focus, or top six focus, Gazetta yeah, or yeah, something like yeah. that. So um, I went in there quite raw and green and without loads of like probably didn't overthink that situation at all, and um, went in there and. And was scared. I think. I think that's the because you you go into that environment. It's scary you, when you've got experienced players and you're not used to what's going on. But I think when you go in and you train and you know you've done well, it it really makes you settle in quicker. And that mm. that is, I've I've been to places. I went on loan to Cambridge and I went there kind of not fit. This is later in my career, but mm. not fit and um, off the back of an Achilles injury. I went in there and I, I was terrible in training. I didn't really hit the ground running in games, and I and I struggled then because mm. I thought, God, these must think I'm rubbish. Mm. Whereas at Brentford, I went in, sort I, of I done well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I done well. I, I could kind of almost tell the players were like, Oh, who's this fellow we've signed? Actually, he's he's good. So mm. you know that was that makes you feel um, feel better, but. It was quite daunting going into a proper men's environment. Um, Did you feel that judgment? Um, sort of the players going, "Oh, we've signed this lad. Let's see how he is. Let's give him a yeah, few hits early but on, that or whatever." Is, that is the same in any time any you go to a club. Yeah, you, yeah. You've got to prove yourself to the teammates first, mm, and mm. before anyone. So they figure out. I can't remember how much physical it was. I actually, I actually probably think I went in there and I was a tiny bit surprised that it wasn't. It wasn't like a, a much, much better level than I could cope with. Mm. I, I, was, I was actually fairly comfortable at that level. So, um, did that give you more confidence? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because if you go in and you straight away feel out your depth, that that must be a horrible feeling, you know. Because um, you do, you you get figured out very quickly in a dressing mm. room or on a, or out there in a training pitch, and people don't realise sometimes it's like. There's no hiding place day to day in a football club. So if you don't train well and you're not good enough, you get found out, and yeah. it's quite a ruthless place to be because mm. 
it is um especially if you come with a price tag as well yeah I mean, uh, yeah oh totally the, the added pressure of a price tag but i mean you don't people don't suffer falls at football so they, on a daily basis if you're not performing and, and doing well or letting your team down even in training you get a lot of stick mm. and a lot of grief and it's not bullying but it They're is quite a hard though. yeah, yeah it's, quite, it's quite a hard hard school tough school mm. You also became, as you mentioned before, you know, the youngest ever player, uh, Brentford player, I think, to score a hat-trick in an FA Cup game against Gainsborough Trinity. Um, first of all, just tell me what that hat-trick was like for your self-confidence as a striker and your experience at Brentford more generally. Are you, we're going to, we are going to fact check this, so please someone correct me if I'm wrong, but if you are still the man to hold that record, are you, are you quite proud of it? Are you, something you look back on and say, um, that's a milestone? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've only got two career hat-tricks to date. Um, and that, that was huge. I mean, I remember um, the striker at the time got injured or a couple of strikers and, and the manager pulled me and we had Barnsley on the Saturday, Peterborough in the cup game on the Tuesday and then the FA Cup game. And he kind of told me, you're going to play all three. <laughs> And I'll be honest, I, get, I used to get really nervous before games. So I remember mm. driving to the game, my dad was driving to the first game, Barnsley at home. And I was so scared, like it, it was ridiculous. And that's where I talk about like Rooney not mm. being scared. I, I, I was, you know. So um, I played, I've done okay. We won 2-1, which is great. Um, I didn't do better than okay. Then we played Peterborough on a Tuesday night and I struggled, like it was tough. Physical, mentally, yeah, any it was a cup game. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I'd done okay, but I got through the game. Mm. And then I, I reckon 40 minutes into this um, Gainsborough game, I still weren't doing great. I hadn't really found my feet. Mm. I was probably searching a bit for things. And then I remember the ball popped to me uh, right hand side of the box, and I just hit a great strike across the goalie, bottom corner. It was like the shackles come off, you mm. know, just all. All the kind of relief. It's like endorphin oh, rush. Yeah, it was unbelievable, yeah, yeah. you know. I felt you could jump higher, run faster. Mm. And then second half, scored a header and then a volley. I was pinging balls all over the pitch. I was, I was just... Felt like it, you do anything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like, like an invincible feeling. Yeah. It, was, it was crazy. And this weren't a great team. I mean, we beat them 7-1 or something like that. But um, after that, it was like, cool, I can handle this. And we had uh, a game that Tuesday night against QPR... And uh, and Brentford QPR was a big derby. Yo, it was big a way derby, yeah, big West derby, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the manager protected me in it. He didn't start me after scoring the hat trick. He didn't start me. He brought the other striker back in. I think we lost one 0 and I came on during the end. And that to date, that was one of the best atmosphere I've known. Like a Tuesday night game, West London derby. It was it was incredible. I only got near the end, and I think I remember Clark Carlisle elbowing me. Um, <laughs> running through and that was where it really felt like Cordis's men's game. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a crazy week of like insight into football, you yeah. know, it was, it was crazy. Sure. Um, you were loaned out the following season to Dagger and Redbridge, I think, and then Grimsby Town, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so for people who might not know what that's like, obviously when you're, some players are loaned out to get more experience, some players are loaned out because they might not be in favour with the manager. Mm. For, for people who don't know what that's like, was it? A, did you feel like it was a case of Brentford not wanting you? Was it a case of them trying to get you game time where perhaps the, the manager couldn't guarantee it? What, what yeah. was that? What situation like? Well, we had a new manager, Martin Allen, and he... he hard kept, man. Yeah, hard man. Hard man. Really hard man, but really great guy as well. Like He's, mm. he's like, there's a method to his madness. 
But uh, he signed quite a lot of experienced players over the summer. I'd probably gone down to fourth or fifth choice. Mm. Um, I probably was too young for his um, sure. his methods yeah. in a way. Like it was, it was quite hard, quite intense, and I probably just didn't get enough game time to find my confidence again and stuff mm. like that. So loan me out to Dagenham, which I wasn't sure on to be honest. I felt a bit forced into that one, but. Uh, scored on my debut there and then slowly just stopped enjoying it. Um, it didn't go great. It went okay and then, and then came back um, to Brentford and then I think went to Grimsby. Now, Grimsby was four hours away and I'd mm. never left home before. Mm. Scored in my first two games from and really that, that like, I felt a huge amount of belief. It was like league goals. And, I, and not only did I score two, I really was playing well. Um, and that was that was a really big moment because I think that almost that was league below league two, and it was almost like, oh, this is easy in a way, you know. Mm. Um, it's never as easy as you think it is. But uh, they then called me back Brentford, came back and then played a few games, but just didn't really do myself justice. Didn't feel maybe as important there, so struggled a bit. So then you have the mental side of it, which we talk about. Whereas you're kind of searching a bit and you're, you're overthinking things mm. and and then it was probably right time to leave at the end of my contract. And I had a year left on my contract, but in that summer I then left. Uh, and it was probably the right time mentally to, to leave and, and go and kind of do things elsewhere. Mm. Do you think the loan system for young players can perhaps have a damaging effect on a player's self-esteem? Perhaps they're not fancied by a manager. So for example... You know, a, a big example could be you may be at a club like Chelsea yeah. where you're a young player trying to break through and instead of the club giving you a chance, they loan you out to Vitesse Arnhem in yeah. Ireland. Do you feel like there's sort of, there's equal parts good things to the loan system as there is bad or do you think yeah. it's a double-edged sword? No, I'd say it's pretty, pretty. I mean, at a club like Chelsea, it's just so much so many numbers and so much money and so many international big players that it's so hard to break through. That's probably why now it's such a great thing that this is happening in terms mm -hmm. of for the youth, the youth at Chelsea. But the loan system can be brilliant um, because it there's nothing like going out and playing in front of crowds. Under 23 football is not the same. It's, it's very... It's not slow. The quality's high, but it's just there's just not that competitive edge, and sometimes mm. it's not realistic. Whereas going on loan and you you're playing with I know it's cliche, but people who have kind of got to win to keep a job mm. to pay the bills mm. is is real life. So mm. um, toughens you up, I guess. It, it yeah, toughens yeah. you up, and it just makes you it makes you realise that God, this is this is real. Mm. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get to deal with fans and kind of abuse mm. as we talk about. Um, and it definitely toughens you up but I think now they're very careful with the places they loan people out to I mean you can if you don't do your homework in football and you go to the wrong place it can really kill you so mm. um, I think it's important now that people do their diligence in where they send you and things like that so mm. after Brentford you you joined Yeovil Town in 2005 yeah. which is when I remember watching Huddersfield play against you and you had a great partnership with um, Phil Jevons. Yeah. The Yeovil manager at the time was was Gary Johnson, I think, who bought you for an undisclosed fee. Yeah. Um, what was it like to be bought for a fee, first of all? Because was that the first time you had 
sort of been bought as a by as a player by a manager by yeah, a significant think, fee? Did you feel was. more valued or did you feel any burden of expectation created by that fee? I don't think it was much money, to be honest. I, I, I don't even know the figure, but I didn't actually think about that. I, I went down there with my agent and we had a day with Gary and I, it, 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 I was sold straight away. It was, it was a long way away, but I was sold straight away just because it was the right environment. They'd mm. just been promoted... Everything was about football. I was going to be living two minutes from the ground where I could fully concentrate on football, uh, not kind of getting from Woodford to Brentford, which was about 10 miles and take me two hours. Mm. Little things like that mm. do actually matter. So um, I didn't feel any pressure having signed there, but I, I, I felt so much pressure playing for him. He was... It's a very demanding manager. Highs. It was yeah. unbelievable. To the point where my missus still, still says to me, I went there and I did not hit the ground running. They were a very tight group and I didn't train well in my first session and I really felt the weight of kind of not playing well and, and, and the players almost thinking I was rubbish. Mm. And yeah, thinking of the mental health side, then I remember coming, getting a weekend off. We'd, we'd been away on tour to Germany and he was so demanding. I mean, he would really get on your back but I think his motto was, I'll, ma I'll either make you or break you. Well, that's, that's, quite, that's <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of a manager, isn't it? Yeah. I know, but he's had so much success. Yeah, he has. You can't trip. argue yeah, with it. So yeah. I remember we had the weekend off and I came back to, to London and I was li I literally broke down. I was like, I can't. I'm so unhappy there. Like, I'm miles away from home. I was living in a hotel at the time and he is hammering me every day. Like, I was like what is this about? I, I was just like, come on, I'll sign for a local team lo like round here, rip my contract up. Like, mm. and I think I'd over, I was obviously over exaggerating how I felt, but I was really low. Um, I kind of forget how low I was, but I was low and um, he was constantly testing me. Um, and then I remember I got completely left out the first game of the season. I was at home in, in kind of Yeovil and they, they, played away at Oldham, lost 2-0, were, were poor by all accounts what I heard. And I remember coming in on the, the Monday and basically him saying, we had an international striker who, whose clearance hadn't come through yet. And he said, if his clearance don't come through, you, you're starting. And I'd kind of like gone from completely the cold to, mm. my God, I could be starting. So mm. I was fairly nervous and anxious, but that brought something out of me. And I had a great game. I think we played Rotherham on a on a Tuesday night, early in the season, obviously second game of the season. Um, and I had a great game. We drew nil-nil, um, but I was probably our best player. Like, things came into me, I brought other people into play. And I remember after the game, he, he kind of dug me out in the change room, but for a good way, he was like, I have given you a hell of a lot of stick here, mm. but you've come through it. Um, you've come through it and you should be proud of yourself. Um, and the lads give me a bit of a round of applause, and that was a mm. big, uh, it was a big thing. It almost felt like you were part of the group now. Yeah, you part were, of the you group. Were integrated. Yeah. yeah. But then two weeks later, I still hadn't scored. I'd been playing well, and he come in and he went, "You're never going to score a goal," like, and he just was on me <laughs> as a joke like, or just like. No, he was brutally on it. He was right. like, "You're never going to score for me. You'll never score like that." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Do you think there was a method behind him saying oh, it, it was like trying to push you? Hundred yeah. percent. Like, and to be honest. He left to go Bristol City a couple of weeks later. And the so he left on the Friday. 
we played Port Vale on the Saturday and the assistant took the game. I was on the bench and I come on 20 minutes to go, scored the winner. So I come on and scored. This was the weekend he mm. left. And uh, I was driving back to London. I think we had the Monday off or something. And uh, the phone goes and it's Gary Johnson. And he, uh, he went, I knew you'd fucking score again. <laughs> like and um, it was like, wow, you know, like, and, and a few of the lads, um, like Nathan Jones, the, uh, the Stoke manager now, mm. he was in the team, he's a great lad. And um, before the game, he went, you'll score today. You know, he's like, that's how football happens. You know, like the manager left. And Gary Johnson rung me after the game and he was like, look, I was, I was doing it to, to try and bring something out of you. Mm. And, and he did. Like at times I felt like, Almost, I'd done things that I didn't know I could. So, in hindsight, it probably, I probably wish I'd played under him longer. And mm. I had the chance to sign for Bristol City when I joined Southend. Um, but Southend, it was, it was kind of back this way, you know. Mm. I was back, back. Did you family. want to sort of go, sort of retread old steps, sort of thing, or? Yeah, well, I, I, mate, I didn't consider myself ever a Southend player in the yeah. first place. So it was nothing to do with that, but it was the championship as well. Like, mm. We're talking about like the second tier of football and I was 21 or something. So I had to go, the money was better and everything. Bristol City on deadline day rang me as well, Gary Johnson. But I kind of made my mind up. I wanted to play in the championship. Bristol City were in League One at the time. And um, yeah, I had to do it. Um, but he rang me and, he, and it was almost like, oh, part of me knew I should have gone there, but I didn't. And it's a regret because Southend was some miser really miserable times. So... Mm. Um, it's, it is funny how, how football um, deals you but yeah it, it definitely tested me and it's something I'll probably use at times if I ever go into kind of coaching or management as well mm. after Yeovil we, you mentioned that previously that you signed um, for South in on deadline day I think a lot of football fans love the drama of transfer deadline day mm. you know Harry Redknapp leaning out the window, Peter Odenwingi not signing for someone yeah. but ended up in someone's car park. Um, but for a lot of players who are living through it, you know, if they're involved in it, it can actually be a quite chaotic and stressful time. Yeah. Would you say that's something that affected 100%. you when you were when you were a player? Yeah, 100%. That, that one affected me because I was at, at Yeovil and I was loving it, like mm. developing well. I didn't want to leave. Like we had a great group of lads. And I didn't want to leave, but I knew I had to leave because this opportunity don't come up often. And it was a chance, like my missus moved down to Yeovil with me and it, it no, no offense to it, but it, it was fairly boring. It was mm. good for me because I was in a football environment, but she had a job she didn't like. She was away from her family, it was tough. So I knew I had to go, but that, that was like a real upheaval. That I, I didn't almost really want it to happen, but, but it did. Um, so yeah, there, there definitely are times in, in football where it tests you kind of like it, it It almost you, you've got to be prepared to be unprepared you've got yeah. to kind of be ready for mad things can happen quickly and you've got to be prepared mm. so after Yeovil and after Southend you joined Wiccan Wanderers um, after you were released by Southend in 2008 but you were only there for two seasons I think after um, the relegation to League 2 First of all, just tell me a bit about the effect that, you know, being released had on you. Um, did you feel... From Southend? From Southend, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't actually released. Wickham bought oh, okay. me again. They bought you there, again. Yeah. Oh, okay. But Southend was weird. I went there in the championship. I scored on my second game or third game away at West Brom, the equaliser, which is obviously 
huge, you know, like massive ground, the Hawthorns, scored against Wolves, scored against Hull. So I had a fairly good season, but we got relegated and I probably played more than I should have mm. because I probably wasn't ready. We weren't, we weren't probably good enough at that level. Then we went down to League One and there was a lot of expectation on me to start the season and be the main striker and up. And I just didn't play well. For whatever reason, I was rubbish and the fans battered me. Right. Like, and that, that was the hardest spell I've ever I've been through in my career. Like, they really, I really felt the weight of, of criticism. Uh, my missus would get on the train to London and she said, she didn't tell me this at the time, she told me this after, but it would have South End fans on the, on the train mm. and they would like be hammering me and she's stand, standing there going to work. Like, it's, yeah, it was yeah, crazy. Yeah. So I could feel it. And then we played Luton away um, in a game on a Saturday and I knew before the game, I just, I was like, I was overthinking. I weren't in good form. I'd had no confidence. We got a penalty. I took the penalty. I missed the penalty. The, the whole kind of, we had a thousand fans probably mm. in the Luton end and they all started singing, if Harold can play for South End, so can I. And, I've, and I'm Christ. playing and I'm like, fucking, this is horrible. <laughs> That's like, your own you, fans. You can that. imagine that's my own fans. So Jesus I really Christ. was a bit of a whipping boy there. So mm. we lost the game one nil. So I had to take all the shit that come my way and the stick. But um, it definitely toughened me up. Um, and, but I knew then I'd fought and I'd fought to get through it. But I knew it. I just I was just I needed just a change, you know. Mm. So that was. Um, but that was a really that really made me toughen up, mm. and it um, it made me made me learn a lot about myself and about the game and stuff like that so it was probably a, a real hard learning curve but you know it probably helped me later on in my career definitely did you ever say anything to the manager saying like you know my my missus is start to be affected by this or no nah. did you not did you not ever you think don't you you know no. what that was the days where it, social media wasn't there and you could yeah, sort of what like it was only probably forums and stuff yeah, yeah. yeah and the managers the manager obviously knew that the fans didn't like me and stuff like that and he, I think he, he he respected me as a guy he knew that I gave my all and I worked mm. hard I was a good trainer so he probably protected me a bit but there was never any conversation about how it was affecting me I, I think my missus was like sad for me but she's also fairly you she's know, aware of the kind yeah, of she's aware of that yeah, football, yeah, yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna get stick. Like yeah. it is one of them things. I was just probably I don't know why at that club and that time, I was probably just ultra sensitive to it. Mm. Um but yeah, it was um from that then I went to Wickham and 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 really done well and got promoted and scored goals and it was almost all the frustration of that I used for my positive there and um and it was great, yeah. And that, that's what kind of like, and it made me, I, I always wanted to prove to almost the South End fans more than anyone that I am. Um, that you could do it and you could, could prove it wrong. And yeah, my record yeah. against South End. Must have been good now. Well, yeah, back. I think I've played against them maybe 10 times. I've scored six or seven goals, <laughs> which is incredible. And I give it to them. I like, I. I uh, what you can get away with. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I yeah. run to. I, I mean, I played there and I scored a left foot twenty-five yard top bin, uh, and I run towards their like hardcore section mm. of fans. That's and been frothing at the mouth and all that. Yeah, yeah I yeah. give it to them, and, and I mean, they started singing an awful song. It was like I don't know if you want me to say it was. It was like 
about me dying and stuff. Oh, Jesus like, Christ. Yeah, it was like, crazy. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. want to stretch it, saying a, let him die or something like yeah, that. It was yeah, probably, probably a, a real small minority, but I've definitely heard it. And But you know what? I thought, I've, I've had a lot of stick off you guys when I was yeah. a player there. I, I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll I'm giving it back to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. yeah. And like now, it'd be sweet, but it was much rawer at the time. Because so. mm. it was different times as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so after Wickham, you went on to play for, in no particular order, Shrewsbury, um, Bristol Rovers, obviously we mentioned as well, Crawley and Cambridge United, and then you finally ended up at Leighton Orient, which you, yeah. where you now play, and you just achieved promotion um, from the National League. Now, I know you haven't finished your career yet, but if you were to look back on everything you've achieved up to now, mm. what do you think some of the things you're most proud of? I would say the promotion of... I think football's all about... Um, moments so it's you want to have good moments in your career so I would say I've enjoyed my career I enjoy going in every day I enjoy seeing the lads mm -hmm. I understand I've got a job which keeps me kind of healthy I'm into my fitness into my kind of eating healthily so it fits my lifestyle so I genuinely love my job like that but I would say the moments you enjoy are, are the promotions um, the big game wins like I think of scoring scoring a winner for Wickham at Shrewsbury to win the league like, oh, up, like near amazing. the end of the season yeah, yeah, you know yeah. um, like moments where you know as a striker you score the winner in a game in a tight game they, they give you great moments last season was last season weird because I, I didn't play loads um, I think I started two league games but the end of the season uh, even earlier in the season I was left off the bench a few times because it's only five on the bench mm. in that league so and a weird like, rule, considering. Yeah, weird. Yeah. And it was tough because we had a strong squad. We're obviously the biggest club in that league. And it was like, how can... I'm I'm a good player. Like, mm. how am I getting left off the bench? And I saw the manager and he was brilliant. He was honest with me. He's like, I've brought in other players. I've got to give them a chance. But I think you're going to be important. And I trained really hard. And, and always... I used to tell the lads, I said, look, when it comes to down to the business end of the season you're going to need me like that. I mm. joke about it, but mm. I kind of off was thinking it as mm. well. So coming to the end of the season and with like eight games to go, I really come into my own and, um, and had a massive impact. And that was only probably coming off the bench. So for half hour, 20 minutes, but I, I would say I had a really big impact on the season, scored some important goals. Um, I scored the equaliser against Halifax to draw two all. My granddad, died in the week who I was quite close to. And little things like that really kind of um, are my highs, you know, that that feeling. Um, and then obviously end of the season, getting promoted. Um, that was a huge high. Then we went to Wembley and lost in the final uh, of the FA, FA Trophy. Trophy. Yeah. yeah, and I'd never played at Wembley. Always said I would, always thought I would. Um, came on in that one, had a big impact on the game, but... We couldn't win. Um, so football's full of highs and lows. So I'd just say the moments where the promotions and the big goals and the big wins are the ones that you uh, you remember the most. Mm. And I think in any game, you know, especially someone in your position as a striker, you could miss a sitter, score a worldie, score an own goal, miss a penalty and get sent off. Yeah. You know, how do you sort of bounce back from say missing that good chance in a game or missing that penalty and making sure you still make that run or you take that chance yeah. and maybe not let it affect your mental state? Um, I've got better at it over the years actually because 
when I was younger, I probably did make it uh, let it affect me more. Uh, but now I just go into a mode of work a bit harder, work mm. a bit harder on the training ground when you're not in form, when things aren't going your way. I mean, I have to be clever because I'm 35. I've played a lot of games, so I can't just stay out there for hours. But mm. you need to be clever with your with your work, and a lot of it now I do kind of probably the mental side. I kind of visualise um, success. I visualise. Um, my own goals I want to achieve and I find visualisation and, and positive thinking helps with um, with kind of overcoming bad things and, and striving to do better so mm. that's a big thing I've probably only picked up in the last few years more than anything when I was younger I probably uh, I wish I had these tools that I have now but I'd probably just work a bit harder get really in the zone and, and work harder mm. Out of all the managers you've had which one has been the, the the biggest positive on your mental health, do you think? Um, we won't mention who's been the worst, but we'll, make, no. we'll, give, we'll give a shout out to the best. Who was the one who kind of raised your confidence more, gave you that self-belief? Who was the one who perhaps um, took you up when you were feeling yeah. low? I'd say it's the probably... Yeah, it's probably a weird one. I mean, it's probably Mark Yates at Crawley, actually, because... I've had some injuries. I've had some quite serious injuries. And um, I was at Crawley. Luckily enough, if I, if I was out of contract, I would have been released from Crawley. But I had another year on my contract. We got relegated out of League One. And um, Mark Yates come in. We had a low budget in the league. Um, I weren't highly thought of at that club at all. Uh, but I knew in me, I knew that I had to... I had no other option but to perform here. So I um, I managed to get in the team. They sold the other striker. And I really played with um, with a determination to prove people wrong. And mm. but he just he knew how to manage me as a like physically, he'd he'd kind of know what to say to me at the right times. And um, I mean he hasn't had a, a, an unbelievable managerial career. I mean he's done well at Cheltenham and 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 Solly Hall recently, but I, I just I just liked working for him, you know. Mm. And it was maybe him and his assistant uh, Jimmy Dack, because I remember actually coming in one one week, and I hadn't scored that season. I was playing really well, but I hadn't scored. Um, and he he pulled me, and he was like, "I've been watching your goals, your career goals." And straight away, I was like, "Cool, that, that's nice that you're almost you made the effort. You, yeah, you've made yeah. the effort. I mean, yeah. it's it's strange, but." It was just a little thing, and he was like, "Like you've scored some great goals, like," and it and it almost filled me with like, "Ha, oh, you know that's good." Mm. Like they're they're kind of almost investing more time in me and stuff like that. So I'd probably say them, yeah. Mm. Um, but I mean, I've had a lot of others who who've kind Done of bits like, and pieces, different, different yeah, bits yeah. and pieces. But I suppose that just at that time in my career, it just worked for me. So mm. yeah, it's good. Um, finally, looking forward to the latter part of your career what what do you hope to achieve you know do you think you'll stay in the when stay in the game and maybe take up coaching or the other ventures outside of football that you think you'd like to explore yeah i mean i get asked this a lot and um i think i've definitely got something to offer obviously i've, I've actually managed the game for crawley uh i've been a manager last game of the season and it was um it was a crazy experience we drew the game but at two nil down it was the loneliest place on earth really yeah, yeah. but at the end of the game, having played so well and getting it back to two all and 
it's was like, roller coaster it was a great, yeah, one game, isn't so it? So you can totally manager. understand the highs and lows. But yeah, I've done my badges. I'm going to do my A licence this year. I've got a little soccer school. I, I coach at Chigwell um, School as well. I've got some kind of... Um, some avenues. Yeah, I've yeah. got some avenues. My agent, obviously, I've got some agent stuff. I've got, I've got some property with him, invested money with, in property. So there's a few things. It's hard for me to actually go, bang, I want to do something definitely. Mm. Uh, I think I've got definitely something to offer on the managerial side, but... Well, those wait and see sort of moments, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, dealing with the yeah. lows. I just can feel that being quite hard, but um, it's one of them things. Mm. You know, I think I'm, I'm one of these who kind of does think things do happen for a reason. So mm. if it happens, it happens. Mm. I think um, I think a lot of players after they retire I think it's something that's not really spoken up about enough that they publicly struggle to adapt to life oh, after yeah. it when, yeah. when that final whistle goes so you know you could, I can name a few examples like Gaza yeah. uh, Paul Gascoigne and other players who have gone through divorces yeah. bankruptcy severe yeah. mental health issues all sorts of addiction issues um, firstly are you someone that that fears retirement and se- and secondly do you think why do you think that so many players struggle with this transition and, and how do you think the football industry can do more to help them well I think firstly I think they are doing more at the moment and mm. that's over the last few years because depression is now out there in the public so yeah uh, the PFA are, are brilliant they give us a lot of support a lot of help so I think that's the biggest actual change in football since me starting out to now is they give you a hell of a lot of help if if you want it. It is there for you. Um, so the first part of the question was, yeah, dealing with that is going to be tough. I'm, I'm not uh, underestimating how tough because it's a weird job because you get in and you have a laugh with your mates for, for a minute. Nine till three in, or yeah, nine till five. Yeah, yeah, it's a short day. Um, it's... It's demanding. It's a demanding job, but it's it's actually I compare it to some people who get up and work long hours. It's it's not demanding in that way. So I think the stress and the the, the problem after is you're just used to it for so many years, kind of getting in, having a laugh with your mates, um, having a banter in the change room, which is not always acceptable elsewhere. Mm. And then you, I think, the biggest. Other thing is, you, you, it's the highs and the lows. It's like the adrenaline you get from winning a game. It's like we won yesterday and I've, I've had a good night's sleep. I've woke up. I'm kind of like, it's weird. I'm better with my kids. I'm mm. better kind of like that. Whereas if we lose, I'm, I'm a bit of a different person. Mm. So it's like the highs and the lows that, you, um, that you're going to have to deal with maybe not having. That's why I'll probably, I think my way out of that, when I finish is will be kind of like exercise and keeping physical and that, yeah because that structure that yeah. kind of feeling of um of really working hard in the gym or running or something like that, it releases them endorphins mm. I think in your head and like I'm addicted to that feeling so mm. I think it um as long as I throw myself in some physical activity I, sh- I should be okay mm. I hope so anyway yeah I mean yeah, <laughs> it helps a lot for me as well yeah, especially yeah. with mental health side because obviously I get a lot of achievement out of, you know, lifting a certain weight or doing a yeah. certain thing, but also it gives me that structure and that routine. Is that something that you found really yeah, helpful as well? Definitely. I mean, in the summer when we get weeks off, um, I struggle without a set routine and I can get 
bogged down a bit without having the structure today, which is why I like I kind of like to keep myself busy. I kind of do a list of stuff I need to do, even if it's around the house. So I'm definitely someone who likes to be busy and have a bit of structure. So I definitely think that's important and something that um, I, I'd like. I, I will have. I mean. I like a bit of I like a bit of free time. I like to sit on my phone, like everyone does. But I also like to kind of get uh, get some jobs done and, and kind of um, push on in that way as well. Yeah. The next topic I want to talk about with you about Matt, um, and it's one that's become a lot more prominent in recent months, which is the growing relationship between football and mental health. So in the past few years, we've had a lot of um, current and ex-footballers speak about their mental health. So you know the likes of Tottenham defender Danny Rose, Accrington Stanley striker Billy Key, who we wish really well. Um, he's actually had to take some time off um, from football at the moment, mm. um, as well as you know ex-players like um, Arsenal's uh, Paul Merson, Tony Adams, as well as Clark Carlisle. Um, first of all, have you seen a change in the way managers and players both approach the subject of mental health, talk about it, and and deal with it as your career has progressed? Uh, yeah, definitely. I would say it's just it's more openly spoke about now. Mm. Um, now. Don't get me wrong, and don't take this the right way. The the changing room is the most probably the most ruthless place you'll oh, ever 100%. come across. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there's kind of nothing that's not taken the Mickey out of. So um, I think I've had it where players in my team have maybe come out and and said they've got a few mental health issues and they've put it in kind of group chats and mm. stuff like that. And um, it's very kind of like respected and, 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 and you, you wish them the best. You, you say to them, if there's anything um, we can do, we're here for you. But then mm. football moves on quick. So the dressing room, you're kind of like straight back into it. Mm. You almost forget, not forget, but you, you move on quickly and you almost might use it as a, something to take the mickey out of now that sounds awful but it's just being honest that you well, might that context, do it it might be different to yeah how it's almost like it, yeah. um it's almost say that for instance they've got this person who's struggling mental health and then they're getting a team and they're playing unbelievable you might say a flippant comment like oh you're not depressed now or something like that, which is completely kind of wrong and stuff, mm. but it is just the ruthlessness mm. of a change. The reality room. of it. Yeah, it's yeah, the reality yeah. of a changing room. So um, I don't think that will ever change, but I don't think it's done in a nasty way. It's done in an almost, sometimes that helps you, it become acceptable that mm. you can almost not joke about it, but it can be a thing that's spoke about openly without it being mm. so kind of like, them being scared to talk about yeah. like I think I think for a lot of people especially me I always find that if I can laugh about my experiences in a sort of self-deprecating way then I own it exactly yeah, and I think exactly that I mean. seems I think that certainly speaks to what you're saying but I think I do sometimes also feel like like you say there needs to be a balance yeah, you definitely. can't if someone comes out with mental health issues you can't maybe completely hammer them for no, it no, but no. you also need to be able to you know make have a joke yeah. you can't it can't always be this thing that's never spoken yeah, about yeah. it can't be this taboo yeah, yeah and sometimes to be brutally honest players might feel that if they can joke about it 
then it makes it more normalised to damage things. But it's in a very brutal way, sort of. Yeah, sort of I thing. think it's a weird one, isn't it? I think one of my probably my strengths is knowing where the line is, and some players don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and almost my t getting your tone right and things like that. So. Mm you don't make the person feel bad. I, I'm sure I have done before, because I can be quite uh, ruthless and quite cutting, but I think I'm aware enough to know that what I'm doing isn't kind of really out of order or horrible. So. Mm. And I think we've alluded to before that, you know, dressing room culture in professional sport, especially football, um, is a very brutal place. And I think that some players it, over the years might have had mental health issues but they felt too afraid to, to speak about it or maybe if they did the dressing room might have punished them for it um now we don't know how many players you know have come to managers and said i've got i'm really struggling mm. and then the manager puts them on the transfer list or whatever yeah um you know without naming names what have been some really positive and supportive dressing rooms that you can give some examples of and what have maybe have been some perhaps more difficult ones without naming clubs or naming names? Yeah. Um, I think when you walk into a club or when you're at a club, you know if the dressing room is a is a good one or not. And for instance, Leighton Orient last season was an incredible dressing room. I think room. everyone can see that from the outside Yeah, as well, it was, it was yeah. an incredible dressing room. And there was just a great togetherness. It, it, don't get me wrong, there was, there was rows and arguments. It's not... Having a good dressing room doesn't mean that Everything's everyone gets on rosy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah. What it means is you drive each other on and if mm -hmm. anyone drops their standards, you pick them up and you go again. Um, I've had some dressing rooms which aren't as good, which aren't as welcoming, which I think if you did have mental health problems at them clubs, they wouldn't have really helped you. I don't think the captain was strong in that respect of helping because that captain plays a big role um so i think when you walk into a club you get uh you get a feel for it i mean i i walked into a club i won't name name it and straight away i just didn't fight, get a good vibe off the players it was mm. very much heads down barely said hello not to a collegiate. new signing yeah, yeah, yeah. not, not kind of helping you along um so yeah it's and then i i I'll use Orient, but I mean, I walked in and it was like, blimey, this is a good, happy group, mm. positive group, you know, mm. like, that's why I talk about positivity all the time to my kids and my missus. It's just like, it becomes infectious. It it It, it is just, it's so important, you know? Mm. Another thing which is a big part of professional football is sort of, how should I put this? Touchline abuse, yeah. which a lot of fans give to to players. Sometimes managers will give them to opposition players. Yeah. Um, speaking from your own experience, you know, how do you deal with the abuse that fans have given you over the years, the positive and the negative? Mm. Um, how did you get used to it or adapt your game so it didn't affect you too much? How did you thrive off it? Um, you know, what was the kind of stuff that you had to deal with? You know, some some funny stories, maybe some some more some more <laughs> bad stories. Um... Well, I remember Martin Allen actually saying in an, in a dressing room one, it's like, don't pop pills when you lose and don't pop champagne when you win. Mm. And I've kind of like always remembered that saying. It's quite a good little saying. So I've kind of taken that mantra on to when fans are giving you stick and when they're giving you praise. I try and just stay Level. a bit. Yeah, I yeah. mean, 
I mean, yesterday, for instance, I got quite a lot of praise for my performance, but I'm very wary of kind of getting to over the top about it. I try and really stay at a level, um, level keel. And obviously the story, the South End story about the whole end kind of singing that to me was not nice. Um, so you definitely kind of like uh, grow mechanisms to deal with these kinds of things. And then you play at, um, when you play in bigger grounds and bigger stadiums, you don't hear as much. Yeah. Um, so they become, become absorbed. Yeah, yeah don't they? whereas yeah. I've played in cup games, FA Cup games, I was coming off for Bristol Rovers against the team. And this geezer was just, I think we beat them about <laughs> six nil. And this, this one geezer was kind of like screaming at me as I come off, like how rubbish I was and stuff. And I, I just couldn't believe. So, you know, I just blow him a kiss and just mm. like, oh man. <laughs> You know you've mean? got to, you've you got to see what you can get away with, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is your life that bad where you've got to abuse me coming off a pitch? Like, like I think, know? yeah, I think a lot of the time it's sort of reflection on them and they're... Definitely. I mean, they're venting in a negative way. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, we also don't really talk about a lot in football the abuse that players give each other. And sometimes it can be that banter that, you know, every player has with opposition players yeah. and whatever. But how did you, how did you never, first of all, was it a shock to you when you got into men's football and you were hearing some of that stuff? Mm. And second, you know, how did you navigate that culture and deal with some of the toxic stuff you might have heard on the pitch? You know, what was some of the, the worst spats you had? What were the funny ones where perhaps someone gave you some stick and then you popped it top bins, yeah. you know, afterwards? Um, yeah, what can you tell me about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, on the pitch, as I've got older, I now have much more interaction with the other players. Like, mm. I'll try and get into a defender's head, for mm. instance. Like, Live if I start the game yeah. well, I'll be I'll be in his ear and I'll be mm. like, you are struggling against me today. <laughs> and, you know, like, you, you don't even want to be out here. And I find that almost um, makes their game go lower. Mm. But when I was young, I, I'd get that from older players then. So, mm. like, a defender might be like, oh, you're having one. Like, mm. you know, and that would, would affect me more. Um... But I've always been quite focused, not let, as I've got older, I swear experience is such a big thing. You get older and you you just learn that, you know, it's just just be in the zone, be a bit more focused and, and it's not important and use that experience to kind of almost help your team win because mm. at the end of the day, it's, it's all about winning. Um, is that that question answered? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It, so, yeah, yeah also, you, um, was there any sort of like funny, funny kind of spats you had? Um, like, were there any sort of ones that you remember from this, from your mind where someone's giving you stick, you've, you've um, maybe nutmegged them like five minutes later yeah, and you've said something back? <laughs> um, I mean, there was South End, when I talk about the game where I've scored a left foot top bin, there was a, there was a player centre half called Moshni. Right. Who was a, like psychopath, like <laughs> very good player, but so I've obviously come. I'm at, I'm playing away at South End where the crowd are giving me grief. He's playing up to that and trying to kind of like be extra tough with me, but mm. I'm standing up to it. I'm I'm playing for Shrewsbury. I'm in the top of my game. I felt mm. really good. Um, he's kind of like so. I've I've got a ball scored two 0 up. Uh, run off. Obviously had all that, and then Moshney's kind of. Um, he's almost taken upon himself to almost be the, the fan on the, the pitch enforce, and, and the yeah. yeah so he's calm he's smashed me but I've kind of given him a bit back and he's screaming in my face like right at me and I've just give it the old like 
yeah, his breath, you know, breath, like yeah, bad yeah, breath, yeah. and it's made him get angry. He ended up getting sent off. And it's just like, well, I've won that You've one. Won not not yeah, only have I banged on in the top bin and give it to the crowd, I've got you sent off, you know? So it was just like, <laughs> yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> um, this, this abusive sort of culture, I think in some ways, reflects society with fans because yeah. I think they feel like, you know, we get, we're seeing it a lot now where fans feel like they are invisible in, the, in a crowd. You don't yeah. have to look at Raheem Sterling. Like, would, yeah. he, would that geezer have said what he said to him on the street? No. Probably not because Raheem will probably have yeah. either looked at him and clumped him yeah. or he would have reported it to the police yeah. straight away. Um, growing up, did you encounter this, you know, on the touchline, sort of that parent player like child um, environment, you know, when you were playing, did you see loads of parents shouting at their kids or shouting at other kids playing um, games? Did you see yeah, that reflected? Yeah, but I was probably completely oblivious to that because okay. I was so focused on just football. Mm. I mean, grew up playing on uh, Wanstead Flats, you know, and Give my dad would be- massive shout out to Wanstead Flats. <laughs> yeah. my, my dad would be Lionsman, he'd get stick from the other parents. There was some- there were some teams kind of, I think it was Senrab and, and things like that. You heard a few stories about their parents having fights with other parents. So, you know, you hear about it, but then I'd just get on the pitch and kind of let my football do the talking. I would, uh, I would not get kind of sucked into it too much. Nowadays in youth football, I think some of the parents do get involved a bit. They want their, I think they see their kid as almost um, a, a way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, not even that, some of them just are so desperate for their kids to be footballers and have that career that they push them and they maybe put a bit more pressure on the kid. And the pressure might, the kid might feel a lot of pressure internally from their own family rather than from kind of... Managers yeah, or maybe, yeah, things like yeah. that. So um, I've definitely had that where you've, you hear of like a player's dad being a bit of a nightmare, you know, yeah. and it's like, oh, kind of, he's almost trying to please his dad more than mm. things like that. Sad, which isn't is, it? Because you watch that kid yeah, trying to do well for their... Yeah. I mean, I've heard stories where, you know, a, a, a player, of a kid's doing all right, the player, the dad will come on and go, I'll come on to pitch and be like, you're not going to fucking make it if you play like this. And yeah, yeah, I just yeah. think, what is that effect yeah, going to have on the kid? Yeah. I'll be honest though, I've... I've um... I've, I'm obviously a coach for my little boy's team. My little boy, Ralph, is, is 11 years old and he plays in a team. Uh, it's not an academy team, but it's like a good, good, good level. Good, good yeah, level yeah. yeah. And I've been quite hard on him to the point where I kind of, I, I think me and my, me and, um, my missus, we're, we're competitive people and we, we almost push them and push them. We're quite pushy parents. Mm. And there's definitely been a time where I thought, oh, I've gone over the top here, like... It's all about enjoyment, you know? And it's a fine line between pushing them and not letting Breaking them be them. lazy yeah, and yeah. not letting them just think, oh, it doesn't matter and, and things like that. And there's a point where um, you go over the top. Like last week, I refereed his game and, and they didn't have a good game as a team and he didn't have a good game personally. And I, I kind of regret that I was, I was quite hard on him. Mm. And he got a bit upset and um, we, we, it was great after because we had a chat and um, and you kind of make him understand that you've maybe got to get through these kind of little moments because life ain't all going to be pats on the back. But I probably did overstep the mark in a couple of things. So I think that's probably me learning. Did it help you grow as, as a parent well. though afterwards? That yeah, def yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think like... Um, 
this week I've just tried to be positive with him and try and and kind of reinforce that it is about having fun and smiling and working hard because I was probably hard on him. And the thing that I was disappointed with myself was that no matter what, he gives his best. So he might make mistakes and not do things well enough, but he's a brave kid who um, who will never shy away or, or hide or anything like that. So I told him quite honestly, like, I'm really proud of you because you're that way, you know? Mm. Um, and, I, and I almost apologise for, for how I was at times. So, mm. like, I should know better, you know? I, I know football We're so well. Beings, though, yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, um, yeah. yeah. You know, I think whether we want, whether people want it or not, you know, mental health in football clubs is becoming a much bigger issue now. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking from your own experience, what what processes and structures do do Leighton Orient have to help players or staff with their mental health? And what examples can you give of what previous clubs have maybe done as well to tackle the problem? Um, if they have at all. Well, what happens is the PFA or the, the PFA, who we are members of, come in two, three times a year and they give you talks and they give you information of who to speak to if you have mental health issues, if there's any racism, if there's any discrimination. So you, we've got the numbers on our phone. We've got people to speak to. So there is that outlet of um, of help from them and people to speak to. Um, obviously, the tragedy we had this year with Justin passing away, the manager, um, the PFA were very big on coming in and, and kind of trying to get us through the grieving phase. We had people come and speak to us in a group. But I, I actually didn't need that. I, I found it better just being with the, the lads who have been through it and talking about the situation. So um, everyone, everyone's got their own way of dealing with it. But I, I think over the last five years, probably mental health and discrimination has become a bigger thing. And they're definitely investing a lot more money and time into that. So there are definitely um, things in place for that. Moving on now, and I think this next topic was something that I was really keen to talk about um, with compassion and respect, and, and that is Justin Edinburgh. Now, for listeners who aren't aware, Justin Edinburgh um, was a late annoyed manager from November 2017 to the summer of, of 2019, and he, he tragically passed away um, this year. Now, first of all, let's just talk a bit about that promotion season, you know, how special it was and, and how Justin the staff, the fans and you as a group of players came together to make it so? Yeah, it was, um, oh, it was an incredible season. Um, I, I started off injured. I'd had a, a rupture my hamstring last season, which was like a four-month injury. So um, it was tough. I didn't didn't particularly play loads at the start of the season, but I think that what, what the, the manager's strength was, was... Um, getting a real good group together. Like he weren't, he, he didn't do loads of coaching. He weren't a coach. He let his coaches do that. Mm. But he was a leader. He was a man, real man, you know, like a bit old school, but also mm. just honest and stuff like that. And the warm and compassionate. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, yeah. But then you knew the line and you mm. knew that it would give you a bollocking if you needed one. Mm. Um, but he, he knew characters. I think he really could weed out people that weren't good for the group mm. and like that was his biggest thing he almost just was so headstrong with it and he got together a great group so there was a great feeling within the group and we also had really good players so we had the best players 
the thing is, which I now realise is like, when you're the favourites to win a league or you're the biggest club in a league. It, Everyone's it, gunning for you. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an extra pressure mm. and uh, it raises the other team's game. And, it, and at times at home, you'd be playing against 11 men behind a ball and it would be tough and you had to deal with your own, own crowd and, mm. and things like that. But we had a good group and we had really good players who could deal with it. Experience, quality, physicality, you know, youth old players like we had a bit of everything and he got that group together really well and he just kind of just kept it ticking along I mean he'd do things which were great he um, he uh, then we played away at Wrexham and I'd been in and out and I'd been left off the bench and things like that and and uh, I'd been to see him and he, he was kind of really honest with me and I was like he was so honest where I was like well I appreciate your honesty you could have kind of blown a load of smoke up my arse yeah yeah he could have just given me a load of rubbish but he was honest and I was like I respect your honesty and then before the Wrexham game there was like three older players uh, kind of George Ellicobi played in the Premier League for Wolves me Alex Lawless who'd kind of trained and really just kept going even though we weren't playing much and he, he just his meeting was about how us three players were driving the rest of the group on to win games because we're not even in the team and we were training so hard and well that it made the standards that high and that is why we were top of the league. So little things like that were just just massive. And then um, obviously end of the season, I kind of came into my own, like I said, and had a big impact and um, kind of just felt a really good connection with a manager who's kind of like, I think in life you just, you get along with people and he was just like, he was just, I felt like he was, if he was in a dressing room, I would have, got along with him, like he would have been someone I'd have had a laugh with every day. And he had a really good family, a nice family. My um, my missus went out with his wife in a group with the others. So it was just a real great feel to the to the group. And mm. I mean, I'll never forget some of the games, which is like, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe in God and stuff, but some of the things that were happening. The stars aligned. Yeah, yeah it was, it was yeah. so crazy. And it, it was almost like, like he's going out here and he, He's going out on a high as a champion because mm. it was things like we were one nil down to Sutton away. I remember that. Day. I remember that. Yeah. And um, the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper did some the ridiculous up. thing. Yeah, and Macaulay Bong nips Scored in and puts the, it in. Yeah, yeah, and, and then we got a penalty from that. Yeah, and 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 it was almost like something's happening here. Like everything's going our way. Little things. Sutton probably didn't think yeah. that. But still. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I know, but. It's, just mad how like you think back and you just think of them moments where it's like like you know he's left like obviously died and it was the terrible tragedy but he's gone out with like the club as a whole and him being remembered in such fond way and such high esteem and the whole place loving him and, and probably having a legacy at the club um, for a long time to come uh, I mean the fans of the the thing about a club that don't die mm. so they'll always remember him and he'll go down in history and kind of just funny how things like you say the stars aligned and things went our way for him to be kind of left in that um in that kind of way as a club yeah. mm. i think justin's passing um not only shocked the east london community but also the wider football world as well um if you could matt just talk to me about how you and the rest of the squad came to find out and, and the initial impact that it had on you. It was weird. So we've obviously got a group chat like most businesses or, or teams have. And um, 
I was driving, I was just in the car, I was going to get a coffee in Leon C and um, I got a message through from the coach and it, it started off like, I don't know how to say this. I'm thinking, what am, what am I reading? It's like, the, the manager's had a heart attack. Mm. Um, we don't know any other details at the moment, but I will let you know. So I've rung one of the lads, Brillo, straight away. I'm like, what the hell, like... Is this really happening? Mm. You know, we just had the best high. We just mm. come back from holiday. Doesn't seem as real. A team. Does it? it doesn't yeah, seem real. Yeah. But then, you, then I start thinking. Well, he's forty nine. He's healthy. A lot of people have had heart attacks and are fine. Mm. And I back him to be. So I went on holiday with my family and and um, my best mate um, Simon Francis, who plays for Bournemouth, uh, went away to Greece. Um, and kind of like heard some updates, and I was hearing some quite bad rumours that. Mm. Actually, you know, this is serious. This mm. is bad. And then we were at dinner. We were, we were at one of the best restaurants in the area. Um, just ordered like, lovely ribeye steak and, and, and sea bass and stuff like that. And I got a message through on the group chat and it was 7.44. I looked at my phone and the group chat, I'd obviously not checked my phone. Mm. And it was, um, right, we need you to ring a conference call from America. Our owners are American. Mm. And enter this pin. Yeah. And I'm reading it. I'm like, God, I've got one minute to call this number. Oh, Jesus. So you've seen, so seen I'm it I'm calling it, but I've checked my other WhatsApps. Mm. And this Brillo, the goalie, who I'm quite close to, and um, he's gone, mate, it can't be, can it? And you think, why are we doing a conference call, everyone? All the staff, all the players. If, and if like, something wasn't like, I'm okay, like, yeah. He's died, he's died, you know. Mm. I, I knew before the call come in, but... Um... um yeah, Lingy, the director of football, kind of announced it. And I just I just didn't know what to do, really. It was it was weird. I, I kind of, I was in shock. I didn't really break down at the time. Um, and Fran Owen, his Mrs. Ash, and, and Hayley, my missus, and that, we were, uh, we just couldn't believe it. And he was like, look, do you want to go home? And it was like, no, I'm going to have a drink. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I need a couple yeah. of gin and tonics here. Just um, level yourself a yeah, bit. And yeah, and also he... he he loved the drink himself, the manager, mm. to be honest. So, but but um, over the next week, so I think that was like three days into the holiday. Over the next week, I was really glad I was with other people and I was away. Mm. But, but any time I was on my own, I broke down. Mm. Um, like I'd go on a walk on a beach or a run or something and I'd just find myself breaking down or just, we had a balcony on the, on the the in our room and my missus would go to bed a bit earlier than me and I'd just kind of like find myself looking through the internet mm. and stuff and seeing pictures of him. Old pictures of him, yeah, yeah. And, and breaking down. And I'd, I'd lost grandparents before, but you expect your grandparents to go eventually. And there's that sort of expectation yeah, yeah. or, yeah, there's not the shock. Yeah, yeah, so I'd never lost anyone close to me and maybe it was my manager, but because you had success together and you saw him every day, I saw him more than my kids. Mm. You know, I was like, I really had, I'd never been through that grieving process before. Mm. Um, so for two weeks, I was probably like that. Um, it gradually got easier. Mm. But um, the, the funeral was really, really mm. hard. Mm. You know, there was it was a small funeral in Bentley. I mean, his boy, Charlie, who I speak to now, was still, um, spoke so well at the funeral. Mm. And then there was a bigger memorial for all the kind of football people around. There was Spurs there. There was some all great the legends people. Spoke, the yeah, team it was, he played it with. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big, um, big cathedral. So, um, I mean, I still think about it now. I mean, yesterday we played Northampton, 
town. Who and, used to manage. Yeah, yeah and there was yeah. a minute's applause before the game and uh, I've just put on my Instagram, like there's a picture of uh, him, his kind of on the big screen, there's his picture with us for the minute applause. So yesterday was quite emotional and I found myself driving this morning thinking about him a bit mm. more. So like it, it pops into your head every now and again and it's probably had a bit of a, it's had a bigger impact on me than I can I probably ever knew mm. could happen. So, yeah, it's, um, oh, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But mm. um, his, his family have been so strong for it, that almost gives you strength. Mm. How did you sort of help the other players deal with it? Or how did they help you? Was there a big sort of coming together where you all said, right, you know, this is this has happened, but we need to we need to get through it, but we need to talk about it and yeah, stuff definitely. like that? Well, definitely, we we got into the ground and everyone's left so many memorials and and stuff for the manager, and that was good because that gave a chance to kind of talk about him almost mm. like our fond memories and and things like that. Read what the fans had written and and the shirts and everything, um, and that unity. I mean, we've still got a group chat now um, on like all the players of that team. Mm. And um, it's called Champions, the group mm. chat. And we're just, you know, um, every now and again, you'll talk about him or something. And there's just that genuine bond that we've got as a group going forward now, you know. Um, and I don't think we'll ever lose that because we had a great season. But then at the end of the season, you've got the strangest, most surreal moment ever. So mm. um, it's definitely, um, there's a group there who, who kind of like, will be, I think we'll be friends for life. Mm. The grief is, is such a, a complex emotion it's such a layered emotion I think speaking to people who've come on the pod um, and they've talked about their experiences of grief I almost feel like men that grief is almost more stigmatized than than mental health sometimes because it's so personal to that person yeah. it's so it's so complex um, looking back you know how did you try and process it um, did you feel like you needed more help than you did? Did you feel like um, you had enough support at the time? Yeah, I think, um, I think like I said, being away and being with my family and stuff really helped, you know? Mm. I, I think if I was like a single lad, young lad or single, even older, without anyone really around you, just to sit there and think, I would have struggled. So mm. I think being around people and talking about it definitely helped. Mm. And I think, I mean, I'm not an expert, but I think talking is is probably a big thing with depression, anxiety, mm. maybe. I mean, you'd know better than me, mm -hmm. but I would have thought getting things out there and talking about it and normalising it sometimes must help. So mm. I, I had long chats with with um with my Mrs. Haley and and kind of the other lads and I think just that talking and getting it out there and not be ashamed to kind of cry your eyes out. Mm. That was like so I did that alone. So mm. that was no problem at all. Um what was really beautiful about the tributes that, that I saw to Justin um on social media, um, you know, I saw one from a fan saying you made me an Orient fan. That really spoke to me. Yeah. That really affected me actually when I saw it. Um but it was how much people genuinely loved him. There was no sort of talking about him sort of bit generally because yeah. he because he passed, you know, his character, you know, there's the viral video on social yeah. media when yeah, he's when video. he's when yeah. he's um in the last game of the season yeah. when he says, When we get to the yeah. airport yeah. and he goes absolutely nuts. Um 
but and how we lifted people yeah. and how we lifted people up when they were down. You know, I saw one of his players, old players, Lenny Pidgeley, yeah. sp speaking about how amazing he was towards him yeah. when he was going through a mental health crisis. And he said, I went to the gaffer and I said, you know, I'm really struggling. Yeah, yeah. And um, he expected him to go, I'll get on with it, yeah, man, yeah, up, yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff. But he did. He's he said, from that old yeah, school as well. Yeah, yeah and yeah. He, he half expected him, yeah. assuming, oh, he's going to say yeah. man up and all, all these other stigmatising things. But he said, don't worry. Yeah. Take the time you need. Yeah. And, and come back stronger. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's other, you know, countless examples that we could give. But from your experience, Matt, you know, tell me a few of your favourite stories about Justin and what they meant to you. Um, I think it comes after... Well, there's two things. I think there's a, there's a quote um, which people know is, so on our first game, he took charge. We were in a bad place. We'd lost 16. We hadn't won in 16 game. And now for Leighton Orient in- Similar to Huddersfield Town at the moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine that's still in championship? Mm. We're in non-league. Mm. Our fans are going mental. Mm. I'm an older player and I'm like, oh my God, like this is toughest spell of my career. And he come in and it was like, it was a great week's training. And you thought, right, this is it. Mm. We go away to Solihull, we lose 1-0. We were absolutely abysmal. <laughs> and after the game in a change room, he kind of was having a bit of a rant. And he was like, like I'm not here for the sake of it. I'm here for the memories. Mm. So that stuck with me. And that's that's uh, obviously now gone viral and stuff mm. like that. And then last season, he organised after our game at Wembley. So we've won the league. Uh, got promoted then we had the FA Trophy which was three weeks later mm. against Fylde at Wembley and it was strange because for three weeks we, I mean as a club we went to Marbella we drank we celebrated then we come in and we trained mm. so it was weird it was just weird we lost the game but he'd arranged a DJ at um, the Marriott Hotel in Waltham Abbey and he um, he kind of got on the mic and he just was, he had a big presence about him, mm -hmm. you know, that was his strength. When he came into a room, people listened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was just like, look, enjoy. We've had a great season. Like, enjoy these moments. You don't know, like, they don't happen loads in football mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. And then, so he said that and then he made a joke because in that game, I come on and I was following a shot in. So I was doing all the right things and the shot rebounded out. It come to a player and he, it was going in and it hit me. Right. And it and I cleared it basically. I stopped it being a goal. <laughs> so he, he kind of made a joke on stage on, on the mic saying like Matt Harold had filed for a clean sheet, like I bet. <laughs> so but I kinda knew he wouldn't have done that if he didn't like me, you know, mm. like he wouldn't mm. have he wouldn't have said that. And then we just had a great night drinking, mm. dancing, like I nicked the I nicked like the security guard's hat and the gaffer was nicking it with me. Like just little things <laughs> little like things, that, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, they're the things that stand out now. There's probably loads more I think yeah, would pop yeah. to me, but they're, they're immediately. Well. Um, after Justin's passing, the club installed um, assistant coach Ross Embleton as interim head coach and then Joey McEnough as player coach. Why do you think that was the best move the club could have done to continue his work and, and build on the foundations that he laid? Uh, basically, I don't think there was any other option. I just can't, cannot imagine another person coming in another manager at coming in yeah. at that time yeah. um, because there was so much foundation that was set and what do you do you come in for a team that's ultra ultra successful in that season with a with a great mentality and then someone else come in and change it so at that time that's the only really thing that could have happened now mm. um, 
I didn't know who would take it at first. I thought Joby might take the job, but I don't think he felt comfortable um, straight away. So I think Ross stepped up to the plate and, mm. and, and in horrendous situations and obviously Danny Webb's there as well as coach. So um, it had a good feel to it. I think at the time that was the only thing that could have happened. Now, the ruthless thing is football moves on so quickly and even Ross has stepped up to the plate in this role and he's got a lot of stick this season mm. from our supporters. Mm. So people forget things and football moves on quickly and that is the ruthless side of the game. Mm. Um, and it's a good and a bad thing, I think. Mm. The legacy that, that Justin has left through through the foundation, his family set up and, and the memories people have of him, I don't, I don't think it's something which can ever truly be me measured. Mm. Um, how, do you, how do you carry his memory in your day-to-day -day life? Um, are there things that he said which stick with you or you use like on a match day or just a quote that maybe stands out and you well, go there's, oh, I there's that. pictures of there's pictures of him around the training ground and and at, in our team and then if we play away there's a picture of him next to the door mm. going out always and I, I just think it gives me a little bit of an inner inner strength that like come on like just kind of almost do it for him or, or kind of be strong at the right times and stuff like that so He's definitely left a, an imprint on me, just um, just more of his character and stuff, you mm. know. Um, and I think I would like to think I will hold that with me for for life. Mm. And just as a as a as a final point, um, obviously Justin died of a, an unexpected and cardiac arrest, and you only have to remember the the traumatic scenes on the pitch when Fabrice Mwamba went through it. Um, I've also lost um, a friend uh, who was my best mate at work couple of years ago of the same yeah. the same thing and he was 35 Blimey. and I was on holiday as well and I came yeah. back and the shock of it just yeah. I just couldn't process yeah. it and it took me a, took me quite a long time actually to, yeah. to process it properly um why is it important that that men of, of our ages and above you know if they're worried just just go to the doctors and maybe something get to, get it checked and stuff like that oh yeah definitely I think and that's why where I think society is a hell of a lot more uh, open now so I think, I think per firstly, it's good to get good people around you who can advise you these things, but um, I think you've got to kind of be brave at times and just take a step to speak to someone, like penting things up and, and keeping it in isn't, isn't good. So it's not easy, but I think that's where you've got to try and find some real inner strength to get out there and speak to the right people. And if it's gonna help your life, and help you smile and help you enjoy the simple things then it's worth doing isn't it you know so so to end this topic matt um you very kindly brought with you um the eulogy that the club captain of Leighton orient joey mcenough did at justin's funeral and um he's very kindly allowed you to to to, to speak about um a little bit of it um if you'd be so kind i think the listeners and especially any Leighton orient fans who i'm sure will be tuning into this pod um would love to hear some of it. So if you're happy to, why don't you sort of take it away and give a bit of, bit, yeah, bit of stuff about it? No worries. Obviously, this was said at the memorial service, which was at Chelmsford um, Cathedral, which um, had a lot of kind of like famous footballers and big, big teams there. But Joby got up and spoke and he, um, I mean, I call him Barack Obama because he, <laughs> he speaks so well, you know, he's a, he's a real great pro, a good leader. So, um, I'll just read out um, his eulogy for, uh, for Justin. So, 
Justin was the driving force behind everything we did at the club. He demanded an incredibly high standard that he would never allow us to dip below. He had an enthusiasm for his work that rubbed off on everyone around him, a ferocious desire to win and a presence and aura that was simply unparalleled. He managed to turn an underachieving group of players and a club into champions. Uh, and I believe if ever a team reflected a manager's quality, it was us. Hardworking, selfless, humble, committed, full of character, and all this done with a dash of style. I firmly believe without him, we wouldn't have achieved, what we achieved wouldn't have been possible. But to us, Justin was just so much more than a manager. He was a leader, a father figure, a motivator, a friend, an inspirational man. And on top of all that, he, he managed to maintain a hugely personal side to him that other managers struggled to find. He did, he did everything with a big smile and always had a laugh. He approached things head on. And as a player, you always knew where you stood with him. That is what we respected most. A lot of managers will tell you they'll be upfront and honest. They'll say the door's always open if you wanna have a chat and speak to them, but they'll be playing hide and seek. They lock themselves away in their office. Justin was completely the opposite, to the point where his door was literally never closed. Of course, this was because he was so approachable and easy to talk to, but the real reason I think it was open, so he could hear all the banter flying around in the mornings and lunch times. As soon as he'd get a sniff of something going on, he'd bang going on, bang, he'd be out there getting involved, finding out what had happened over the weekend or on night or on nights out before joining in with all the lads. He used his incredible sense of humour to connect and to build those relationships and it enabled him to always have his finger on what was going on within the group. As much as he was our leader, I believe that was where he was happiest. While at the, while at the club was when he was in the middle of the group just being one of the boys. He made it clear on numerous occasions the importance of everyone working together and would always take time to give credit to the lad to the lads who were not playing regularly, but training well and pushing the group and standards on a daily basis, which I know was greatly appreciated. He always took the time to ask about our children and our partners. Every Easter, he brought in eggs for the kids and along with Kerry played a big part in involving all the wives and girlfriends, which helped strengthen the bond we all had. If there was ever any issues at home, it was, all, it was always get yourself off and get that sorted. That's the way he managed. Nothing was ever more important to him than family. He demanded 100% commitment from us when we were at the club, but understood if things weren't right at home, then that wouldn't be possible. These are just some of the things that helped create a special environment we had over the last 18 months. I can honestly say it's an environment I've enjoyed being part of as much as any other I've been involved in in 20 years in the game and knowing how rarely it comes around, I feel very fortunate to have experienced it. We look forward to going to work every single day and love being around Justin and that fan fantastic positive, positive energy he exuded. Come, come match day, of course, we'd fight for the club and each other, but we also fought for Justin. We gave him absolutely everything we had. We wanted to win for him. The times we lost, we felt that we let him down more than anyone else. But the greatest thing with him was as long as we gave 100%, he would accept it. No recriminations for a mischance or a mistake that led to a go. All he'd say is just learn for it and, and be better next time. To us, he was the most perfect manager we could wish for, completely unique, but loved by all. Justin, we miss you so, so much. Thanks for everything you have given us. Although, although you've been taken away 
too early. We were incredibly grateful that we got to share so many happy times and create so many amazing memories, memories that will last for a lifetime. We will never forget you and the impact you had on our lives. We promise to continue your legacy. We will carry on your name and spirit forward in everything we do. Sleep well, mate. Well, I'm a bit um, kind of emotional after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear it, I read it, but when you hear it, it's um, yeah, so much it's more powerful real, isn't it? stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a really well written piece because it kind of sums up how we felt so well. Mm. And I could even put it better myself. Yeah, like, there's no, no, he's, he's brilliant, like that, JB. He's, he's, he's a great captain. Yeah. But I will change for you, my love, right till the final topic of conversation Matt and it's one that I always have with my special guests um, is a general natter about our mental health so firstly just let me know how your mental health is at the moment mate if that's all right yeah really good we won yesterday so uh, <laughs> yeah. that makes my mental health better and, and sometimes it is as shallow as that um, yeah I've, I've, I suppose I can't say I've ever um suffered with mental health issues all I can say is I sometimes worry quite a bit about the future and mm. obviously in my career it's not it doesn't go on forever so I worry about providing and obviously with a family um, I do have a an eye to the future quite a lot but I've, I've again I've found ways of um, of dealing with it being positive um, is the main thing I've used you know and kind of throwing myself into other things, be it coaching or starting a little soccer school or kind of even doing a podcast like this. You never yeah. know where it will take you. So yeah. um, the media side of things is huge as well, which I enjoy. So there's um, there's mechanisms I've used. And um, and yeah, so currently mental health mental health is, um, is really good, but I have had some real dark times. Mm. Over the years, um, I don't know how you label it, but um, but currently, as we speak, I feel like I'm in a good place of dealing with it if I ever did mm. happen or it ever came to me. And when you had those conversations, you know, looking back about your mental health, did you feel like once you had them, that a part of you changed? Did you get a release because you got that feedback from that person saying, you know, it's okay that you're feeling like this, you're still a great person, you're not any less of a man. Yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely helps. That's where, obviously, you choose your people you spend time with in, in life and um, they're the ones who help you. Like Likewise, when people I know are having issues, I feel like I'm quite a good shoulder to... Uh, or, or someone to lean on mm. to help them. So... Um, definitely feel better for, for talking about it, getting out on your getting out um, off your chest. And yeah, just that little bit of therapy almost, mm. isn't it? Um, and what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health? Or what ones have you found that worked? What ones that you found that haven't? Uh, what ones give you a source of pride and, and, and self-care basically? Yeah, so I mean, I've... I've done yoga. Mm. Um, How would you find that? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm into all that. I, I kind of meditate at times, mm. like a bit of mindfulness. Um, I find that helps. I think I read a bit more than I used to. I find sitting there on your phone doesn't help loads. Mm. So I think kind of reading a book or getting out um, and having a good time with your family or mm. going out and, and stuff like that helps. So... 
I think I think meditation and mindfulness is a is a big thing uh, if done the right way mm. of helping of helping you. Um, what what was the impact that becoming a dad had on you? Uh, made me grow up quick. Cause I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest, when it when it happened, I was twenty three when I found out. Oh wow, so and quite yeah, young. I was then. quite young, yeah. and uh, yeah, I probably didn't feel ready. But um, no one you, ever does. You do learn, they, do no, you yeah. don't, and that's the cliche, but it's the truth. So you learn on the job, and luckily, my missus is. I think she was born to be a mum, so she's quite uh, maternal and stuff. So that helped, but um, yeah, you learn on the job, and you 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 learn that you know what. It is only football at the end of the day. Like, mm. And I even now remind myself that sometimes now. Um, and I probably need to remind myself of it more at times. But um, you just get caught up with winning um, so much that you, you forget it. But it is only a game. Mm. Why Why do you think it's important that, that we as men sort of open up more and try and normalise the conversation around mental health? Um, because I just think it's the, it's the, it's the way of enjoying your life more and mm. you don't um it goes quick life really doesn't it i mean it feels like uh not lot that long ago i was kind of nervous in the, in the car on the way to a brentford game and now i'm kind of coming to the latter years of my career so mm. it goes quick so you've got to kind of enjoy the moments you know mm. like the manager said you've got to enjoy a moment so if um if talking about your mental health and getting through your mental health issues can mean you have better moments, better memories and enjoy enjoy life more, then it's well worth it in my mm. opinion. Um, do you think there's been a particular reason why historically, you know, men have struggled to express how they felt or if or why maybe society has taught us that it's until recently that it's not been okay yeah. for us to show vulnerability or have we done it to ourselves? You know, what? Mm. it's probably a varied yeah. sort of response, isn't it? Probably a bit of everything, but I, I would just say it's kind of like society has changed I would say was it the English um, trait of just kind of not showing your emotion Stick up yeah, and all yeah, that. yeah yeah like the like strong comments. the strong silent type has probably been um, been pushed um, for, a, for a lot and a lot of years and it's only now we're probably getting through it and, and breaking down them barriers and it's now obviously with the help of social media and, and, and kind of phones and information being so readily available that everything's out there and everyone feels a little bit more easier to talk about it. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm certainly emotionally spent after listening to that, but I've absolutely loved doing this podcast. Um, Matt, thank you so much for being my special guest and for checking in with me. Um, for those who want to find out about the Justin Edinburgh Foundation and how you can get involved we'll put some links in the description of the pod thank you to all the venters who tuned in and as always if you've liked what you've heard please give this a share on all the usual social media channels tell your friends or work colleagues about it or if you're feeling really really generous write us a review on iTunes we hope to check in with you again very soon and remember it's always okay to vent it's